Greeny with Mike Greenberg, the podcast. Yes, it is. Uh, Greeny presented by Progressive Insurance. A couple of things that I have just been informed of in the last few moments. In fact, one of them was literally one minute ago when I just heard there in the Sports Center, excellent work on the Sports Center there, that they're going to put John Madden on the cover of the Madden game. I had not seen that. When did that get announced? This morning. Oh, I, the last I hour. Not, I, I, I first saw it, it on Shefty's Twitter feed like, I don't know, an hour ago at most. But <laughs> obviously that's a, that's a great a, call. wonderful decision. Yeah. That is a great decision. Maybe it should have been obvious, but I will admit it didn't occur to me uh, until I just heard it. That is an outstanding decision. I love it. I loved John. For anyone who knew Big John, he was he was um, remarkable. I mean, I loved. I'm old enough to remember him as a coach, and I loved him as a coach, and then as an unbelievable announcer over the many years. And one of the many places that he worked was he worked at ABC doing Monday Night Football. So you know, with our connections and everything, I met him a million times over those years and loved him. And, um, and then, of course, there's the video game. I mean, to my kids, my son, Stephen, does not know that he was a football coach or anything. The name Madden, he might as well have it tattooed on him. He plays so much of it. And I don't even think he knows that it's named after a person. So I am delighted that John Madden will be honored uh, in that way. And that's a great decision. I was going to ask you, between his coaching career, his broadcasting career, and the video game, are we certain that there is any person in the history of pro football that was more impactful when you consider all of the contributions? No, I think not. He's in the Hall of Fame as a coach. Let let the record show. He went into the Hall of Fame just as a coach. And to his dying day, everyone called him coach. If you were around him, you called him coach because he considered himself a coach. He thought of himself first and foremost as a coach who was teaching the game on TV. And he was just unbelievably good at it. He was a great coach. For anyone who doesn't know the history, I'll just do this quickly. John Madden was the coach of great teams, with the Oakland Raiders in the 70s, they won one Super Bowl. They, they kept getting beat by Pittsburgh in the AFC Championship game a bunch of times. But they were great teams, the Ken Stabler teams. And he had a real fear of flying, like a terrifying fear of flying. He, he was greatly inhibited by it in his life. And there was an episode where they were flying to a game and he had like a, a, something bordering on a breakdown on the flight. He got so scared, and he basically said, if I survive this, if I get off this plane, I will never get on an airplane again, and he never did. And that's why he had to retire from coaching, because he, you can't be an NFL coach and not get on an airplane. But that's why the whole Madden Cruiser, that bus he would drive around the country in and everything else, that's where that all started from. What I'm trying to say is he was still a very young man. He would have had a long and, I think it's reasonable to guess, very successful career as an NFL coach. And, and had one as it was. But he was a, still a very young man when he retired from coaching. I don't, I don't think he was – I think he was in his early 40s. You can look that up. I, I think his last year with the Raiders – Yeah, I 42. Say, he was 42. He was 42. I want to say they lost to the Broncos in the AFC Championship game, the Orange Crush Broncos. I think that was Madden's last game. I, I'm not 100% sure of that. But it was right around that era. But those were great Raider teams. That was the year before. So that was 77. He coached again in 78, and that was his last that year. That was his last year. So he had great teams. So that was Stabler. I'm going to run through a bunch of this. I'm going to say a bunch of names. You tell me how many of them you've ever heard. The running backs were Mark Van Egan and Clarence Davis. Nope. The receivers were Fred, Fred Boletnikoff and Cliff Branch. Uh, I've heard of both. The tight end was Dave Casper. I've heard of Dave Casper. The offensive line had Art Shell and Gene Upshaw on the left side. They were unbelievable. Know them. The wow. center was a guy named Dave Dalby. The right guard was a guy named George Beeler, and the right tackle was a guy named John Vela. Mm-hmm. Doing this all from memory. The defense, I'm not going to get them all, but the defense had, on the defensive line, the guy named Otis Sistrunk, who was 
a crazy, fun personality. They had John Matuzak, who was a very famous person and, and died very young. They had uh, linebacker. They had they had the Mad Stork. Um, his name was uh, Phillips. Ted Phillips? No, not Ted Phillips. What was his name? Ted Hendricks. Ted Hendricks and Phil Volapiano and George Atkinson and um, Jack Tatum. I love those teams. Ray Guy was the punter. He's in the Hall of Fame. So anyway, so John Madden is, is going to be on the cover of the Madden game. That's great. The other thing that was just sent to me, and I'm delighted to see this personally, um, that ESPN PR put out a, a note that Game 7 Sunday night is the most watched NBA Conference Finals game on ESPN in four years. Uh, it, it peaked with 12.1 million viewers. Overall, the Eastern Conference Finals coverage was way up over previous years. And, and that's great news. Uh, in this, let me make it clear. I take no credit personally. I am well aware this has nothing to do with me, the fact that I am involved now. Our job was to do a really good show. I'm, I'm not deluding myself to thinking people are watching the basketball game because of what we're doing before it. But what I am delighted about as a basketball fan is that, you know, life goes in ebbs and flows, right? And the, the timing of the pandemic, I think, really impacted the, the NBA more than most other sports, uh, maybe baseball to a degree. Like, football was never really impacted by it that much. Like, their seasons remained intact. They were played when they wanted to be. Baseball had that one year that was just kind of thrown off into a tizzy. I, I don't know. How do people in baseball view that World Series, the Dodgers championship? Do they diminish it? A tad. It was a 60-game season, but they right. were the best team. So there's that. Basketball, it has really thrown off three years. Yeah. Right? That year was greatly impacted, obviously. Then the following year, they couldn't start on time, so it got pushed back. So their championship, they played the finals last year into July. And then this year, they had a shorter summer than ever. So I think we've seen a lot of injury and stuff like that this year that, that, that it has been impacted. There's still the reverberations of it all are impacting the sport. And yet, here they are. The playoffs have been great. People are obviously watching like crazy. So just as a fan of the sport, at the end of the day, it, it doesn't impact me personally one way or the other. As a fan of the sport, I'm happy to see it. You know, they were in a little bit of an ebb, and now they're in a little bit of a flow. And, and so that's great news, and we'll see what winds up happening. I hope we have a great finals, and I hope I'm wrong. I hope this is not as one-sided as I fear that it might be. In the meantime, speaking of that, all right, why don't we jump to this? Let's do the green list. The list is what determines who matters in this business. The green list. Actually, today's green list, Hembo put together a nice uh, list for me here of the top five things you need to know about the finals. Just fascinating little numbers and stats and things that you should be aware of. It's presented by Progressive Insurance. Save when you bundle motorcycle, RV, and boat insurance. Visit Progressive.com. Here we go. Number five. The Warriors have infinitely more experience on the finals stage. Golden State has 123 games of finals experience on its roster. The Celtics have zero. This is the third finals all time where one team had 100 games of experience and the others had zero. Overall, this is the largest separation since the Bulls played the Jazz in 97. So I think that is a big advantage to Golden State. Number four. In the era of super teams, these two are homegrown teams in the finals. They have a combined 14 players that were drafted and have played in this year's playoffs, seven on each team. That, to me, is wonderful. And if it is indeed a signal that the super team era is behind us, I think that is a wonderful thing for the NBA. So in me, to me, in every way, that's good news. Number three. Now, this matchup fits the cliche of defense wins championships. 
The Celtics and Warriors in that order were one and two in defensive efficiency this year. It's the first time the top two teams in defense have met in the finals since the Bulls in Seattle in 96. It's fascinating because I covered that series and I did not remember that. I did not remember hmm. that, that that was a matchup of those two defenses. The Bulls should have swept them. They, they were up 3 nothing and wound up winning in six. But that was the 72-win Bulls, the, the, the best, well, I've never actually thought they were the best, but the most storied of all the six Bulls championship teams. That's the last time the number one defense played the number two defense. Number two. Outside of the first round against the Nets, clutch time has been a nightmare for the Celtics. Nightmare. And this is how I opened the show today. The Celtics are not clutch. They were 29th in the league in clutch time win percentage this year. Game seven of this year's conference finals, the aforementioned game seven with the huge ratings. You know what America saw? America saw that team scrambling, holding on for dear life and almost giving away a nine-point lead with under two minutes left. They're two and four in games where the score is within five points in the last five minutes since the end of the net series. And that includes that game. It's very hard to consider that a win. They looked awful in clutch time. So that, to me, is the biggest concern I have about this series. If Boston doesn't figure something out, then they need to win these games by 12. You don't beat Golden State by 12. Don't let that one game against Memphis fool you. That doesn't happen often. Let's put it this way. You can't count on it. You can't count on, oh, the clutch time thing won't bother us because we'll just blow them out a lot. You're not blowing out Golden State a lot. So to me, that's the biggest concern in this series. Number one. And number one, the Warriors are the fourth franchise ever to make the finals six times in an eight-year span. Michael's Bulls were the last. Celtics and Lakers are the only other franchises ever to do it. Should Golden State win, they would surpass the Bulls for the third most championships in the sport's history, trailing only the Celtics and the Lakers. Really good. Top five things from Hembo there that you need to know um, about uh, all of this business with the finals. Uh, really well done. I'm looking forward to it again. I'm flying out to San Francisco today after the show, and, and we will have game one for you to start tomorrow night. We'll be with you for every single game on ABC, and they're all here on ESPN Radio as well. We hope that you will enjoy it as much as we will enjoy bringing it to you. Greeny, the podcast. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. We all carry around different stressors. I do, you do, we all do. Big, small. And when we keep them bottled up, as I sometimes have had, happen in the past, it can start to affect us negatively. Therapy is a safe space to get things off your chest and to figure out how to work through whatever's weighing you down. It's helpful for learning positive coping skills and how to set boundaries. It empowers you to be the best version of yourself. It isn't just for those who have experienced major trauma. If you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online, designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist and switch therapists anytime for no additional charge. Get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com slash Greeny today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash Greeny, G-R-E-E-N-Y. Passion, drive, and patience. The formula for winning championships is also what keeps your ride or die alive. eBay Motors has everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance. Superchargers, roof racks, exhaust kits, LED headlights, and more. 
Whether you're into speed, power, or style, eBay Motors has you covered. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you'll always find exactly what you're looking for. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Because with eBay Motors, you're burning rubber, not cash. With all the parts you need at the prices you want, it's easy to make your car the MVP and bring home huge wins. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. All right, Greeny with you here on ESPN Radio. As we roll along, we are presented by Progressive Insurance. So obviously, we're smack dab in the middle of all of these great playoffs. We got the hoops. We got the hockey. We got all that kind of stuff. So I didn't want to sidetrack us too much today into this other story, but perhaps largely because I was not here when it initially happened, I wanted to give my two cents on what went on between Nick Saban and Jimbo Fisher a couple of weeks ago and then is now coming up again because they're having their meeting. So for those of you not aware, the Southeastern Conference is having their like annual meeting right now in Florida. We've had good coverage of it with Paul Feinbaum and Heather Dinich down there covering all the stuff. And, and, and there's usually, I mean, there's a ton of mundane business that goes on at things like this. Most of the time, we don't pay a lot of attention to these meetings. But with Saban having done what happened a couple of weeks ago and then with Jimbo Fisher having lost his freaking mind in response, um, there's a lot of eyes on it. And I'll play a little bit of what happened yesterday just so you get a sense of it. This was Saban being peppered with questions yesterday at the spring meeting. I didn't really say that anybody did anything wrong. You said they bought their recruiting class. I didn't say anybody did anything wrong, okay? And I've said everything I'm going to say about this. And I should have never mentioned any individual institutions. I said that before. Jimbo lying when when he says that that they didn't do... I have no problem with Jimbo. I have no problem with Jimbo at all. So whoever that is asking him the question, in my opinion, is missing what Saban is actually saying. So Saban acknowledges his mistake was in pointing the finger directly at one school, one program, one coach. And because that happened that way, I I understand Jimbo Fisher taking umbrage. I think he's playing that up to some degree for sympathy, for defending his program, for whatever reason one does that. I understand why he would be genuinely put off by the comments, so I'm not going at him. But Nick Saban is right. And when he says, I didn't say anybody did anything wrong, what he's trying to tell you is not that that's cheating. It's that it isn't. It's that we now live in a world where you can buy your whole recruiting class, and that is within the rules. And what Nick Saban is telling you, without telling you, what's that expression, say something without saying it? What he's telling you without telling you right there is, college football as we know it is over. And he doesn't think it should be. But I'm telling you right now, Nick Saban has been a master adapter. He's adapted to all the nuance. He's adapted to the change in the way the game is played. He didn't like all the fast-paced offense. He finally figured out, can't beat him, join him, and he does it. And he's won a bunch of titles, and they've become wide receiver you at Alabama, for crying out loud. Mike Krzyzewski, once upon a time, we thought he would never adapt. He adapted one and duns. We thought, oh, they'll never have a one and done at Duke. Oh, and now all they have is one and duns at Duke. But this is different. This is a total change in the landscape. So what Nick Saban is telling you is, the new rules say... We buy our recruiting classes. That is the reality of the situation. 
And I think you're going to see a lot of big coaches get out. I don't care what anybody says. That's why Jay Wright is not at Villanova anymore. That is 100% why Jay didn't want to be a part of the system anymore. Not his thing. You can't do that at Villanova. He can't compete with all these other places. Now that it's all out in the open, he tries to build a team based on, build a champion based on culture. I have no culture, no opportunity for that, certainly not in the traditional ways. I'm not 100% sure that's not why Krzyzewski got out when he did. Hmm. And I wouldn't be surprised if Nick gets out. Now, Nick is a lifer, and he's 71. He's, he's closer to Krzyzewski in age than he is to Jay. Jay has the option, if he wants to, of going and coaching in the NBA, and I think he will. I think he would have preferred to stay in college, but I think he sees the writing on the wall, and he got out. I don't think Nick has that anymore. There was a time when Nick could have gone and coached in the NFL. I feel like that time has got to be behind us now. I think he's 71. Is that right? Someone would hire him, and he might do a great job, but I don't know if that's the time in your life you want to start something that kind of new. So I have, I have real concern about this. And again, I am one who has been railing on radio airwaves primarily, but on television as well. Since I first started, my first talk show I ever hosted was in Chicago in 1991. So that's, what is that, 31 years. I've been saying college athletes don't have it fair. The system is not reasonable. It needs to be adjusted. It needs to be dealt with. And they're all getting what they deserve now. Because by not making reasonable adjustments, by not making reasonable, not reasonably addressing the obvious issues, imbalances, and unfairness, they wound up in court where they lost. And now, rather than having to give an inch, which they could have, and it would have put an end to everything, they've given a marathon. It's not even a mile. That's all it is now. And that genie's out of the bottle. It's never going back in. That horse is out of the barn. So what Nick is telling you is, listen, listen specifically to the words he's using. I'm not saying anyone did anything wrong. I didn't really say that anybody did anything wrong. You said they bought their recruiting class. I didn't say anybody did anything wrong. That, that's it. That's what he's telling you. Yes, they bought their recruiting class. Because you can now. You couldn't for 150 years. Now you can. So we went from zero. What is, what is faster than 60? What, the expression is going from zero to 60, right? Mm-hmm. We went from zero to winning the Indy 500 in 10 minutes in college sports. And it is a culture shock. And look, I don't feel sorry for any of them. I don't feel sorry for anyone who has spent a lifetime making millions, tens of millions of dollars in an industry where the labor has been completely unpaid. I'm not, please do not mistake what I'm saying to suggest that I feel bad for anybody. But what I'm saying is this is the end of something and the beginning of something entirely new, entirely different. And that's what Sabin is telling you. So I understand Jimbo taking issue or taking umbrage to being called out like that. Cause if I'm him, I'm saying, Hey Nick, I'm just playing by the new rules. So is everybody. He's defending it. Cause it just doesn't sound right. Particularly in places where college football is King college football is life to say, yeah, we bought our class. Cause that's what you can do now. But that is the reality. And it's not just there. And it's soon to be everywhere. So that's a game either Nick is going to want to play or he's going to have to get out. And it's the same with all of them. 
And I can see adjusting to that a lot more easily if you're in your 40s or your 50s than you are in your 70s. But that is the new world of college sports as we know them. Hembo, what do you think? I think you have generally pegged this correctly, although I, I don't necessarily think that the genie is out of the bottle permanently. I think, like anything else, we'll see a market correction here. What I don't know is how fast it might happen and who will initiate it. Because right now, the NCAA is seemingly useless in, in all of this. Mark Emmert is leaving. And so the most powerful people in college athletics are the commissioners of the conferences, just sort of in order of how good they are, right? So naturally, Greg, Greg Sankey, the commissioner of the SEC, is the most important guy in the room, of course, in any room. And, uh, but obviously, he, his incentive is to monetize his conference to its, to its fullest extent. So I suppose it goes to show you that like, it's super, super important that sort of leadership you know, rises to the top here, and I don't know where it's going to come from. It goes to show you how important leadership is and how little the NCAA has in this context. See, I disagree with the first thing you said. Or Will there be a market correction? Not for a while, because the market is enormous. It's endless. You don't think that they can regulate without restricting soon? What exactly do you mean by regulate? By putting rules in place so that this what is What kind not- of rules? putting timelines in terms of when players are allowed to enter and when players are not allowed to You're enter. You're talking about the, the transfer portal. Well, we're talking about two start. different things now. There's the transfer portal, and there's all the money these guys are getting paid. You're, not, you're buying a recruiting class. Mm-hmm. It has nothing to do with the transfer portal. It does for many cases, though, because, for example, Jordan Addison, the star receiver from Pitt, oh, who went to USC. Because he transferred there in the portal. And, and that's a big part but of the conversation. But you can start buying too. them in high school. That, 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 that's, that's the way it's going to wind up going. Even if you start restricting the transfer portal, which mm-hmm. I think they're going to have a very hard time doing, but maybe they can find some way to restrict it. See, once you lose, see, this is why they're really getting what they deserve. And I've been saying this forever because they let this thing get to court. Mm. The arrogance of that was unimaginable to me that they thought, oh yeah, the courts will see this our way. We have a system that is unimaginably unfair to the people who are making it go. And rather than bend even slightly and feel the, 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 read the room, read the momentum of what's going on. We're going to hold fast. We're going to hold out. We're going to hire lawyers and we're going to try and win. And they got obliterated and they deserved it. I was just reminded of this uh, Brett Kavanaugh quote in the antitrust case. And what he said was <laughs> exactly what you did. The NCAA is not above the law. The NCAA couches its arguments for not paying student athletes in innocuous labels, but the labels cannot disguise the reality. The NCAA's business model would be flatly illegal in almost any other industry in America. Yes. And that, that, so they deserve it. Mm. So again, I'm not sure I'm crazy about where it's all gone, but I am a hundred percent not feeling sorry for anyone who is going to bear the brunt of it. Greeny, the podcast. For the ones who get it done, Granger offers high quality supplies and solutions for every industry, as well as access to product specialists who have the knowledge and experience to answer your toughest questions. Plus, their commitment to being your safety partner can help you keep your facility safe and your people safer. Call clickgranger.com or just stop by. This podcast is proud to be supported by Jets Pizza, the number one pick in Detroit style pizza. Why? It's simple. Jets is better. With the thickest, crispiest, cheesiest Detroit-style pizza in the country, there's no competition. Right now, get $5 off any eight-corner pizza with code 8SAVE. That's the number eight, S-A-V-E. Go to JetsPizza.com to learn more and find a location near you. Again, try Jets' signature eight-corner pizza and get $5 off with code 8SAVE. That's the number eight, S-A-V-E. Jets Pizza. Better because it has to be.
All right, Greeny here on ESPN Radio. We'll do Who You Got in just a couple of quick minutes here, which is Bubba's chance to take over. But this is the moment where Nuno picks out a soundbite for us, and he has picked one from KJM uh, this morning. Actually, it's from Get Up this morning. Excuse me. It is Jay Williams of KJM fame. But he was on Get Up this morning, and he was saying he thinks Marcus Smart is the most important player in this series for Boston. Well, a better defender needs to be Marcus Smart, and he needs to be the best player on the floor. And this is what I mean by that for him. He spearheads their defense. He will have the ultimate check of guarding Stephen Curry, stops him from being a momentum-like player. And then offensively for the Boston Celtics, when they are loose with the ball, you need a guy like Marcus Smart to control the tempo and the pace of the game and initiate the offense. He is the most important player on the court for the Celtics. I think that's a, a, a really good and interesting take, and I like it. I, I, I don't think that's a bad thing. I hope he's fully healthy. When he got hurt, if you were watching, it was game three. It was the Saturday night in Boston. When that ankle turned, when you saw that replay, I thought, well, that's it for him. He's not coming back, and he came back in that game. I don't feel like he's been 100% himself since he missed. I want to say he missed game four. He did not look very good in game five. I'm struggling to remember all these things now. Uh, Jordan White played great in that game. Um, Oh, excuse me. Derek uh, White played great in game uh, six, and that might have been why he wasn't in the game. And then in game seven, he took all the shots. He took all their shots. He made a few of them, but he became like their primary offensive go-to guy. So I'll say this. Your little – you put this idea in my head. Hmm. Marcus Smart at 35-1 to to be the MVP of the finals is not a terrible pick. do I think he's going to win? No, but do I think it's do I think at thirty five to one that's a pretty appealing little opportunity? I think it actually might be. Yeah, I, I mean, I would you know probably tab his odds at something like twenty to one because if the Celtics wind up winning, I think it's going to either be because Jason Tatum went off or Marcus Smart played defense with his hair on fire. All that being said, I actually disagree with Jay Will. I, I mean, I, it's obviously Marcus Smart's going to have a huge impact on this series. To me, though, I'm less worried about the Celtics' defense than I am the Celtics' offense. The Celtics mm-hmm. are going to play great defense. Greeny, in the postseason this year, teams have shot against the Celtics a lower figure than the worst shooting team in the NBA during the regular season. They play outstanding team defense. Yeah. But can they score? Because the Warriors play great defense, too. To me, Jalen Brown is the player that has to play great and has to play great offensively for the Celtics to have a chance. He gets a little... Out of control, late and close. Mm. He's another. Not only does he miss the big foul shots, but the turnovers late in these games are just absolute killers. We'll see. Let me pause fifteen seconds on that thought. We got who you got on the way on ESPN Radio. All right, Greeny, as we roll along here on ESPN Radio. Hey, remember the first time you discovered something amazing? What if that could happen to you with your job? Well, ZipRecruiter works like your personal recruiter to help you find new jobs or discover new opportunities. They're the right fit for you. Sign up for free at ZipRecruiter.com. We'll do who you got in just a minute here. I, I do think that this is a fascinating series. And just as a quick final word on it, we'll do the, the KOD picks right at the end of the show. But I saw something on Instagram yesterday that I had forgotten. But if the Celtics win a championship here, Nuno, do you know who they have to thank for it first and foremost? Uh, Bubba, the casual Celtics fan? Mm. <laughs> no, No, that's not bad, though. Joe Johnson? The Brooklyn Nets. They have the Brooklyn Nets to thank for it. I had forgotten, but the fact that they have Tatum and Brown and a lot of other things they have came directly from the trade they made with Brooklyn that sent Kevin Garnett and Paul Pierce both 
absolutely finished. I mean, 100 all-time greats, Hall of Famers, great guys, love them, but clearly done. Done winning championships for sure. What did they win? One playoff series, I think, together in Brooklyn? It was something like that. And in exchange, they got everything. They got a king's ransom, and included in it were the picks that turned into Jalen Brown, and then the number one pick that they wound up flipping to Philadelphia, who traded up to take Markel Fultz, and the Celtics at three took Jason Tatum. They took him behind Markel Fultz and Lonzo Ball. I mean, the Celtics are, it is a remarkable thing they put together, but I had forgotten that. You know, things happen and then time goes by and you just forget it. But Nuno, if and when the Celtics win this championship, and I say when because while I don't think they'll win this one, this group certainly could win one going forward. I think it's the Nets first and foremost they have to think. What do you think of that, Nunes? So I, based upon your logic, I think someone like a uh, friend of the show, Bobby Marks, who's an ESPN front office and front office insider who worked for the Nets, was the assistant GM at that point. Then I think he deserves a ring, right? Like I would do that. <laughs> I would troll everyone and be like, "Hey, you get a ring." If Joe Johnson's going to get a ring, if the Celtics win this title, then everyone deserves a ring, including the Nets organization, uh, for helping them out. So I, I just was trying to find it quickly. And when I typed in Nets Celtics trade, the first thing that pops up is worst ever. <laughs> is it the worst trade <laughs> ever? The Celtics, I mean, that, that trade was just ridiculous. It was KG, Pierce, Jason Terry to the Nets for Gerald Wallace, Chris Humphreys, Reggie Evans, Keith Bogans, and unprotected first rounders in 2014, 16, and 18. Mm. Those picks, one way or another, turned into both Jalen Brown and Jason Tatum. And I think you forgot one key element here. The Celtics could never have gotten here if they had kept Kyrie Irving. There is just no way. No way. They've been able to fly further faster because he left. And I think that's part of the legacy. So they have the Nets for that to thank, too. Exactly. (laughs) (laughs) Everything's coming up Boston and not so much Brooklyn. All right, let's do this. Life is a series of choices. Who you got? Make a decision. Say it! Say it! All right. I'll say it. Who you got? All right, who you got uh, is time for Bubba to take over. Bubba, who, as many of you, I think, by now know, is an extremely accomplished person. Uh, His passion in life now, of course, is radio production. But for many years, he worked for the uh, FBI uh, administering Mm -hmm. lie detector tests. Uh, And so he knows how to ask the provocative question. So he will now ask me a series of questions, and I will do my best to answer them one and all. Bubba, take it away. Oh, yeah, sure. Who you got? Brought to you by Granger, and I uh, just want to make sure everyone's aware what the Mets are doing right now, because in case you haven't heard, we've won five in a row, first place the NL East, teaching Hembo's boys a lesson or two. We're ten and a half games in front of the Braves, so just want to make PSA for everyone out there. That's what the, that, that's that just what the came Mets from, are doing. That literally came from nowhere? I mean, what was the, what, what, what was the impetus for that? You just felt like yeah, saying Yeah, I mean, because we haven't, we haven't brought up the Mets today for some unknown reason, despite <laughs> the fact they're dominating. It wasn't so the green light. Just wanted to make scripted. sure that we're, we're talking about that. Mm. Okay, fair enough. I like it. Anyways. What's next? <laughs> so, first one, NBA, as we've been talking about, where are you ranking the Warriors dynasty all time? Who you got? So, let's start with this. I do believe they are a dynasty. Now, that kicked off a massive argument Friday night on NBA Countdown, one of those moments where I just never got it back under control. I I would say hosting that show with those three guys is is kind of like riding a bucking Bronco, you know, in the rodeo. Not that I've ever done that. You've not? No, but, like, 
my understanding of it is you're not trying to steer it. You're just trying to hold on for dear life and not get thrown off. That's how that show gets every now and again. When Stephen and, and, and Jalen start yelling at each other, I'm just holding on for dear life. I'm not in any way deluding myself to thinking I'm going to steer them where I want them to go. But anyway, I definitely think they're a dynasty. Six, t- six finals in eight years. If they win this, it's four championships. But do they have to win this? I think if they don't win this, it'll be much easier to argue against it. Now, the other piece of it that I will point out is I don't think they're done. I, I, I think that they are, they will be among the favorites. Now, the West is going to be loaded next year. Denver, really good. Minnesota, really good. Memphis, really good. Um, the Clippers. Clippers will get their guys back healthy. Uh, and I'm sure I'm forgetting. Uh, Dallas, we'll see what they're able to do. Phoenix, not necessarily going anywhere. So the, the West is going to be a very tough place to do your business. But I think that they have a chance to get back. One way or another, I'll put them as a dynasty. Now, where are we putting them all time? They're definitely not with the Jordan Bulls. Certainly not. I consider the Lakers of the 80s, the Showtime Lakers, to have been a dynasty. Am I putting with them? No. Were Shaq and Kobe a dynasty? See, like the Laker dynasty, quote-unquote, if you will, of that era, the the threads of commonality amongst their five championships are Kobe and Phil. Is that enough? Like, can you be a dynasty if the first three had Shaq and the second two didn't? I view those two iterations. They're too separate, right? They're too apart from each Mm -hmm. other. So I I don't think, as as much as it pains me to do it, I don't think that's a dynasty. A three-peat doesn't constitute a dynasty? Well, it's its own little tiny dynasty. They made three, they made four straight finals. They won three of them, and then they lost, right? to That was the year they lost after they got Malone and... In 04, yeah. And those guys, right? So, and, and then Shaq was gone. Uh, I, I'm going to say the Warriors, they, they, they enter into dynasty conversation here, but I'm going to put them below some of the others. Um, because of the Kevin Durant thing, that was such a fluky, mm. once-in-a-lifetime... The, the salary cap exploded that one year, and he chose to join forces with them. Look, if he had been a part of all of it, then they'd be the greatest dynasty of all time, and no one would ever beat them. So I will, I will have them right now. My answer to you at this moment, Bubba, is I have them as a dynasty, which not everyone does, but I'll put them below the other legendary dynasties for now. What's next? All right, speaking of the Lakers, how long will Darvin Hanna last? As the Lakers head coach, who you got? I hate to say this, but I don't think it matters. Like, I, 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 the Lakers, we treated their coaching search. And look, God bless the, the, the news and everything else. And good for him. Everyone loves Darvin Ham. He's not someone that I know. But the, 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 the level of happy for him that I sensed when Woj broke that story the other night is off the charts. So everybody loves the guy. It's great that he's getting the opportunity. But if I were to list the problems with the Lakers right now, how many things would you name before you got to the coaching? Like, if you looked at their season last year, and you were, they obviously made uh, Frank, the, the Frank Vogel the, uh, the fall guy for that. But how many people and other circumstances would you name before you got to him as you listed the problems with the Lakers? Six? Oh, at least. Right? It was an ancillary problem. Right. If at all. That's a, a small problem. Here's the best thing Darvin Ham has going for him. Jalen has repeatedly pointed this out. Darvin Ham was a big, and he works with bigs. 
and he has been on that Milwaukee bench for years, and he went a long way towards developing Giannis. He is credited by a lot of people as having done a great job working with Giannis. He needs to do that with Anthony Davis. Now, what Anthony Davis needs first, foremost, and forever is a doctor. He needs to be healthy, and that's not something I don't think Darvin Ham can do anything about. History and sports history is filled with guys whose bodies just couldn't take the, the demands of a long professional season in all sports. And Anthony Davis, unfortunately, I think is going to be that guy. Now, Anthony Davis has had a magnificent career. I think he's got a chance to wind up in the Hall of Fame based on everything he did in college and in the international game and in the NBA, and he's made hundreds of millions of dollars. I mean, God bless him. He has won at the game of life. But I do not. he's not going to be what he, I think, appeared destined to be, which is an all-time great, because his body just can't take it. So I don't think there's anything Darwin can do about that. So the, uh, the honest answer to your question, Bubba, is what does it matter how long he lasts as coach? If things go as badly as I think they're going to go, maybe they just get him out of there too because it's the easiest thing to do. But he's not the answer to their problems. No coach. Phil Jackson, Red Auerbach, Greg Popovich, no coach was going to be the answer to their problems. Screeny and who you got? What's next? Uh, let's do some NFL. Lamar Jackson, he does not have an agent, but if you were his agent as he's heading into the final year of his contract, what would you say to him? Who you got? Oh, I mean, is there anyone who wouldn't say do not set foot on a field without a deal? I mean, I, I understand he is approaching this differently, but the reality is the template is there. Unless the Ravens aren't willing to pay him the way that some of the other top quarterbacks are being paid, whether it's every penny that Deshaun Watson is getting or not, and I understand that a competitiveness amongst guys like that, but if someone is going to put $200 million on a table and a pen, and all you have to do is sign a piece of paper to get it, you have to do it. And you cannot put your body in harm's way until you do. So I'll be surprised if he plays this year on the fifth-year option, just because it seems so... It seems so the opposite of, of, of what common sense would suggest. But everyone around keeps telling me that's what he's going to do. So maybe that is what he'll do. But I would tell him, don't even think about playing until you have all your money. Get all your money. Because the NFL not going to feel sorry for you. No one's going to feel sorry for you if you get seriously hurt. And I understand he can take out insurance. And I understand risk of injury isn't what it used to be, particularly for – I get all of that. Get your money. That would be my advice. It feels to me, though, like we're talking out of both sides of our mouth because for years we would commend Dak Prescott for betting on himself and going year to year. And he had one fewer year on his rookie contract since he was not a first-round pick. Yeah. What is the fundamental difference between that and this? Because the sense I'm getting is that the Cowboys wouldn't give Dak the things he wanted, and the Ravens, my understanding is Lamar's not even engaging them in conversation unless they've given him some indication that he's going to be upset or disappointed with their offer. My understanding is they're not even engaged. He just basically wants not to do this for whatever we look. He's an unusual guy. He's his own. He sort of marches to the beat of his own drum. Good for him. Whatever. He is a magnificent player. So he, they should give him $200 million. And I'd be very surprised if they're not willing to. So take it. <laughs> for the love of all things holy, take the $200 million and get on with your life. That would be my advice. Bubba, what's next? Who you got brought to you by Granger with supplies and solutions for every industry. Granger is always there to help. Call clickgranger.com or just stop by. And Friday is National Egg Day. So what's your favorite way to make some eggs? Who you got? 
Favorite way to make eggs. I happen to like eggs very well done. I like eggs. I eat a lot of eggs. But if it's running, I can't have a runny yolk. Mm. I can't have anything. like so- You go to a place and they o- one of the things they offer you is soft scrambled eggs. My father used to get that a lot. Soft scrambled eggs. Yuck. I can't even look at it. Soft scrambled eggs does not look like food. I like eggs that you could, you could beat a person with. <laughs> it's a terrible <laughs> You know what I mean? I like eggs that could be a weapon. <laughs> you know what I mean? I want them well done. Like when I will order them in a, in a coffee shop, I always will say the same thing. I want them burnt. What other people would send back and say, what are you talking about? This is much too well done. That's how well done I want them. And, and that, that goes for any way you make them. Scrambled, omelet, over well, whatever you're doing, I'm good with it. But they got to be, if they're poached, it's got to be like a hockey puck. Like a hockey puck, you could shoot a, Wayne Gretzky could shoot a slap shot with how well done I want that. All right, give me one more, Bubs. Go. 23 years ago last Saturday, the 21-year-long restoration of Da Vinci's The Last Supper was finally completed, originally painted in 1495. So who you got as your favorite painting? What? <laughs> Read the first half of that what sentence What things again. did you just say? Ah. <sighs> 23 years ago last Saturday, the 21-year-long restoration of Da Vinci's The Last Supper was finally completed. Okay. Originally painted in 1495. So who you got is your favorite painting? Oh, my favorite painting. Uh, it's pretty straightforward. I'm not sure what the issue is. Okay. Here. Well, it was 23 years ago last Saturday, and yeah. it wasn't even... Part of the question. You took a long. That was a roundabout. It, right. was, it wasn't. It was pretty straightforward. Settle down. <laughs> All right. My favorite painting. Th- there's a room in the Musée d'Orsay in Paris where they have a bunch of Van Goghs, and one of them is my favorite, Starry Night, or or his his. He's my favorite painter. But I will say, if you've never had the experience of walking into the Louvre and walking into that room where the Mona Lisa is, while it is not the greatest painting of all time. It is the most famous, probably the most famous work of art oh, in, yeah. in human history. I've been there. No big deal. Have you walked into that room? It, it takes your there. breath away. It, yeah. it does. It's seeing it in person. It takes your breath away. So I'll go with that. Have a great day. See you tomorrow. ESPN Radio. Thanks for listening to Greeny the Podcast. You can listen live each weekday morning at 10 Eastern on ESPN Radio and see it with the video on ESPN+. Also catch Greeny on Get Up weekday mornings at 8 on ESPN and also available wherever you get your podcast.